0: Uh, if if we lived a hundred years ago uh, and you wanted music in your home, what did you have to have? <laughs> yeah, number one, an instrument uh, of some kind, and somebody who could who could play that instrument. See, in my house, uh, we're not musical. I want to be musical, but I'm not. So if we had an instrument, it would just lay there, uh, unplayed. But a uh, hundred years ago, if you wanted music in your home, you had to to have an instrument, and you had to have somebody in your home who could play it. And uh, but but now we are just spoiled. Uh, We are surrounded by music literally everywhere that we go. Uh, Music is played in in the background of most uh, stores, uh, in in most restaurants. Uh, There's music in our cars, in our homes, and everywhere there is a smartphone, uh, there is a portable boombox. Have you guys ever been somewhere where someone's using their portable boombox and you're like, why are they? Don't you have headphones? Uh, but the, But, the reality of we, we have music with us everywhere now, uh, and we can take it with us and, and that 's truly a blessing but, but music was once a, a high form of art to be studied, learned, and mastered over the course of a lifetime and in fact the uh, the word for music is is a Greek adjective, meaning that it, that it, came, it comes from the muse uh, and in Greek mythology, the muses were, uh, were goddesses who were the, the goddesses of of the arts, of of science, literature, uh, and music, and so in Greek mythology, uh, music was seen as a gift from the gods. Uh, and I think the Greeks were onto something. They just had the wrong god. Uh, they they didn't understand that that music truly is a gift from the one true god, uh, and that they needed to know that god. And uh, as as we come to our, our text today, you're, you're probably, so why is, why is Thomas beginning by speaking about music? On my, on my handout in front of me, it says that the title of this sermon is The Word of Christ. Uh, well, what Paul is going to, to do in this verse of Colossians 3.16 is he's going to show us how the word of Christ and music uh, are to be the centerpiece of the church. Now we're supposed to see that uh, that the word of Christ is the to take the primary place in our worship services as we gather together, but that music is a uh, is a complementary and secondary uh, piece that should be a part of our lives as Christians and as our in our corporate uh, worship gatherings and. Uh, as we've been been looking, at, as I mentioned last week, as we come to Colossians 3, uh, verses 15, 16, and 17, these three verses kind of form something together where, where previously Paul had, had spoken with uh, individuals about, hey, what needs to happen in your own heart and, and putting to death what is earthly in you, chapter 3, verse 5, uh, and then addressing uh, relationships uh, in, in uh, verses 8 through uh, 14 uh, of bearing with one another, forgiving one another, Uh, All of this. And then he comes to verses 15, 16, and 17. And he begins to deal with with matters of, of corporate worship, of when you gather together, this is what you are to do. And let's read those verses now, beginning in verse 15. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Verse uh, 15, Paul issued one big command, let the the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he explained what that uh, was to look like. Now he issues one big command to us this morning. uh, And that big command is, let the word of Christ dwell in you. The word of Christ needs to to take up residence in you. He's going to issue that command, and then he's going to tell them uh, what it looks like, how they are to accomplish that. So we're going to have the command, and then how uh, to do that. Uh, and uh, what we are, we're going to see is that in this verse, uh, the word of Christ is going to be supreme uh, in, uh, in the, the church. But that music, again, plays that secondary and complementary role to the word. And this verse teaches three directions for the word of God in our corporate worship services that it should be directed inwardly to our hearts, uh, horizontally to one another as we teach and admonish one another. Uh, and then it should also be uh, be directed vertically back to God. We want to echo back to God what he has said in his word, who he is and what he has done, his actions and his attributes. That's what we want to do. Uh, so that's what we are going to see this morning. And But before we before we get to that, there, there are some unforeseen difficulties in this verse, uh, some things that uh, if you compare Bible translations, you'll see that this verse is translated uh, differently, most commonly in, uh, and the two most common translations are kind of represented. If you turn your, your handout over on the other side, and I know we may have uh, run out of handouts, so if you, if you see someone without, or if you're willing to share, uh, please uh, show somebody. But the, uh, th- there's two big ways of looking at this, or, there, or there's several questions, um, Because you have to, it's kind of a run-on sentence in the Greek, and you have to understand what goes with what. So it's literally uh, in the Greek, and this is at the top of your page on the the back. uh, It says, uh, and there's no commas or anything in in the Greek. What it says is, Let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, psalms, hymns, songs spiritual, singing in the grace with your hearts to God. And it, it leaves you with questions of, okay... What goes with what? Uh, And especially uh, a couple of distinguishing things of uh, that phrase, uh, with or in all wisdom. Is is that to be understood with what precedes it or with what follows it? Uh, Is it supposed to, is it talk about how the word is to dwell in us or is it talk about how we're to teach and admonish? Uh, Then we also need to understand that the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, they could either be associated with uh, the teaching and admonishing or it could be associated with the singing. So are we supposed to teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Or is that what we're supposed to be singing? So that's, a, that's another question. And then, uh, is it grace or is it thanksgiving? Now, do we sing in grace or with gratitude? Because the word there is, is literally uh, grace. Uh, and you can see the ESV, uh, how they lay things out, is they uh, treat uh, in all wisdom with teaching and admonishing one another, and then that we are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But the NASB takes a different route. They say uh, that the word is to uh, richly dwell within you with all wisdom, uh, and then teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, and so I had uh, had some decisions to make. So as you'll also see, there's a, there's a kind of my own translation there on the bottom, and I wanted to explain that briefly because that's kind of what I'm going to, to teach off, off of. Uh, so at first I think that Uh, when Paul says, in all wisdom, I think he's talking about uh, that should be understood with how we are to teach and admonish one another. Uh, And why do I think that? Well, uh, you can turn the page over to Colossians uh, 1.28, uh, where Paul is going to say something very similar in describing his own ministry. He says, him we proclaim, speaking of Christ, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We're going to see some of the same elements. We're going to see that there's a message being proclaimed in verse 28 of chapter 1. It's uh, Christ being proclaimed in 316. It's, it's the word of Christ. Uh, we're also going to see teaching and admonishing. So what Paul and his companions were doing, uh, the, the entire Colossian church is called to do now. And then uh, he's going to say with all wisdom in verse 28. Uh, regarding the teaching and admonishing, so I think uh, this is an opportunity where we can use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Sometimes the Bible is hard to understand, right? Uh, there are certain portions of it that are that are difficult to to see and make sense of, and what we can do in those instances is go to other passages that are more clear, uh, and use those passages to shed light upon what is less clear in Scripture. So uh, I think that it's it's intended to be uh, let the word of Christ uh, dwell in you richly, and then in all wisdom refers to how we are to teach and admonish one another. Uh, And then I think that uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are what we are to teach one another with, Uh, and that is to be the means. I know it's kind of uh, uh, counterintuitive, but also keep your finger here and turn to to Ephesians chapter 5. Again, looking at another parallel passage, Ephesians and Colossians were written at the same time when Paul was in prison and sent uh, to different cities, and the, but they have a lot of the same ideas that are communicated within them. Uh, and uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, or with your heart. So that the idea of, again, the, the parallelism here, Paul is saying that they are to speak with one another uh, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, in uh, Ephesians five nineteen, and then to sing with thankfulness in their hearts uh, to to God after that. Uh, and I think he's going to be echoing the same thoughts here uh, in in Colossians chapter three. Uh, and And I spend time saying that because oftentimes you you'll come to uh, to a passage of scripture, or if, we're, if you're in a growth group, and, and you, you come with different translations of the Bible, and somebody reads it, uh, and then as you're reading along in your Bible, suddenly it's like, well, wait, why, why is that different? Why is that different in my, uh, my translation? And we have questions about that. So I wanted to explain that, that briefly, and kind of lay out, uh, and I think this, uh, w- what you see there in my translation of it, I think it, it shows a rhythm to what Paul is saying. Uh, that there's, a, there's a cadence to it uh, and a symmetry to what he's saying. Um, and uh, so that being said, uh, and we've looked at that, let, let's now dive into these three directions uh, that, that Paul says that the word of God uh, should, should go within us. Uh, and beginning with that, the word of Christ must live in us inwardly. Uh, so notice the similarity of verses 15 and 16. We have this beginning command, as I said, of let, let the peace of Christ rule, or as we saw last week, literally to umpire. Uh, he's to, to umpire our decision-making. And now he's saying, let the word of Christ uh, dwell within uh, the entire community uh, of believers. Uh, and the word of Christ is is the message of Christ. It's the message about Christ, which at that time, uh, when Paul is writing this, it would have been all of the Old Testament scriptures, because all of the Old Testament functions as one big arrow pointing to who? To Jesus, pointing to who he is and what he was going to accomplish for the nation of Israel. Uh, and th- Uh, At the beginning of Colossians, in order to address the false teaching, Paul spends two chapters in in one and two just writing about who Jesus is. Uh, And so uh, that also would be the the message of Christ or the word of Christ that Paul has given uh, to them. So the word of Christ would be synonymous with Scripture. He's, He's talking about the Bible, and that is what is to... Uh, to indwell us, uh, to dwell within us, to, to make uh, a permanent residence uh, within our hearts and our souls. And it's, this is a call for habitual obedience. Okay? Uh, the word of Christ is supposed to be a, uh, a permanent resident in your heart, in your mind. Not, not a part-time tenant who comes and goes, and sometimes you kick him out. Well, I don't really want to listen to God today, so let me, let me not obey today. No, perma- permanent residency is what Christ uh, demands for his word in your life. Uh, and And even more than than just a command to to individuals in a congregation this is this is intended to to define and explain uh, who we are and what lives within us as a church, as a corporate body uh, that the Word of Christ is called to dwell within us uh, altogether uh, and uh, and then Paul says that you know the Word of Christ is to indwell you and then he 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 says, again, it's supposed to indwell in you, right, uh, in your hearts. And so somebody needs to call the, the Department of Redundancy Department because Paul just seems to, uh, to be repeating himself. right? He, he wants to be sure that the, the word of Christ is to be where? In us. Right? So, so what does that look like? Well, uh, listen, listen to what Charles Spurgeon, the, the great uh, English preacher of the 19th century, listen to what he said regarding John Bunyan. Uh, the Puritan author of The Pilgrim's Progress. You guys ever heard of The Pilgrim's Progress? Uh, Very, you know, second most published book of all time. Uh, this This is what Charles Spurgeon said of John Bunyan. He says, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts. It is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historic facts, but it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your very style is fashioned upon scripture models. And what is better still, your spirit is flavored With the words of the Lord. I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what I mean. Read anything of his, and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his Pilgrim's Progress, that sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, Why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved. That's what it looks like for the word of God to dwell in us, that, uh, that when you cut us, what do we bleed? We, we bleed the Bible, that it just oozes out of us all the time. That is what we are called to uh, in this passage. And uh, if, if, we, if we look at this, if, if the word of God is to indwell us as a community, what, what has to be true of us as individuals? Yeah, the, the, the word of God has to dwell within us as individuals if it ever has a chance of dwelling within us as a community. So then we have to ask, does the word of God dwell within you? Have you hidden the truths of the Bible in your heart and in your mind? And as followers of Christ, that is what we are called to do, to meditate upon what Christ has written to us in his word. Who is he? What has he done for us? May we always be thinking about that. And uh, my, my hope and prayer is that what, John, or what uh, was said about John Bunyan would be true of all of us, uh, that, that, we are, uh, that we are consumed with the word and knowing it because it shows us who God is. But if, but if we're also being really honest, sitting down to read the Bible is tough, isn't it, right? It, it, it's, it's difficult. Uh, not only is it difficult to, to find time uh, and to make it happen in our busy lives, but it's also difficult to read and understand. Uh, and, and that is why uh, what, we, what we do here at Ambassadors, we encourage people to be in our small groups uh, because we know that, number one, it's hard to read uh, on your own and to, and to maintain that discipline. It's hard to know what to read. Uh, but what we do is, in our small groups, uh, when we gather together, we're all in the same reading plan. We're all reading uh, the same thing. So when we come together, we're able to share with one another. We're able to hold one another accountable throughout the week and say, hey, how are you doing? Uh, let, let's make the word of Christ dwell within us this week. And uh, we're all in the same reading plan. This month, what we're reading through is the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and as we come together, we're able to, to share what we've been reading. We're able to ask others how you've been uh, in your reading. And that's uh, we need that. Uh, we need that accountability. We need that encouragement. And the goal of our growth groups is to be a, a community of believers all moving towards Christ together, uh, all working and striving to have the Word of God dwelling within us as individuals so that as a corporate body, as a community, the Word characterizes our hearts and our lives. So I would encourage you guys to uh, to to visit a group, to find a group. If you if you want to know about our groups, you can speak with uh, Pastor Bruce in the back. You can come up and speak with me uh, at the end of the service. We would love to get you connected to one of those. Uh, and even if you are even if you're not a disciplined reader, uh, even if you're saying, Hey, you know what? That's that's really difficult for me. I'm just not good at reading. I'm not good at at understanding. What I would encourage you to is still come to a growth group. Why? Because you still need fellowship. Now, even if, if, if you're not a, a strong reader, you still need to be in community with others. As I've said before, uh, one of my favorite sayings of my our, the pastor of our sending church, he says, "A lone ranger is a dead ranger in the Christian faith," uh, and that's true. If you try to go it on your own, you're going to you're going to be uh, captured by the enemy. Uh, you still need fellowship, and you still need to be with and around other believers who can encourage and instruct your your hearts, and and actually, you know what? That's that's the very thing that Paul talks about next. Uh, let, let's look back to our verse. He begins, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly." And then, how, how are we to do that? What does it look like for the word to dwell in us richly? Well, it looks like teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is the horizontal direction that the word is supposed to supposed to take. Uh, that we are to uh, to be directing the word towards one another and uh, I believe that, again, that, that phrase of in all wisdom uh, governs how we are to teach and admonish one another. And uh, what came before should also be present, because if, if you're not, uh, if the word of God isn't dwelling in you, should you be teaching or admonishing anybody else? No, because you're just going to be doing it in your own authority, in your own wisdom. Uh, but we are to, uh, when the first thing is true, we're able to follow out on the second. So in all wisdom, uh, we need to have the word dwelling in us. And then wisdom, wisdom helps us to understand when we should speak and when we should be silent, right? Uh, usually uh, young couples, uh, husbands, when you first get married, what's the, what do you usually learn quickly? When you should speak and when you should be silent. Uh, when you should address something, when should you wait? Uh, and uh, listen to First listen to Thessalonians 5.14. Uh, Paul says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So that that, groups put, that, that verse puts people into several groups, which means wisdom, uh, if I have to respond differently to different types of people, what's the first part of wisdom? Understanding, what, who am I dealing with? Does this person need to be encouraged uh, and taught, or do they need to be admonished? You don't want to mix those up. It's a really bad uh, parent or pastor uh, who mixes those up. To your rebellious kid, do you want to uh, encourage them, or do you want to admonish them and warn them and correct them? Uh, so, So we have to understand. That's what wisdom does. It helps us to see and assess situations and people according to God's word, and that's what we need. If we're going to be teaching and admonishing one another, we need to be doing it first and foremost with all wisdom. Uh, and then let's look at those two commands, and I think they're supposed to be understood together. Uh, they go hand in hand, the idea of teaching and admonishing. Uh, admonishing is not really a word that we use nowadays, right? When was the last time you used that in a sentence at any point in time? Uh, but the idea is giving a warning, uh, teaching and, and warning. And, and teaching refers to the, the positive presentation of Christian truth. Uh, and admonishing refers to the more negative warning about the danger of straying from the truth. Uh, so teaching is saying, hey, hey, here's what you should do. And warning is saying, well, okay, here's what you should do. And if you don't do it, this is, this is what's going to happen. This is going to be the natural fruit. If you plant those seeds, this is the crop that you're going to, to harvest. Uh, and that's what teaching and admonishing comes together with. And we are to be doing this, it says, with one another, giving the idea of that there should be a, a back-and-forth nature to our, our teaching and our admonishment. And again, I realize that, uh, can that really take place in this setting? No. So if we're really going to do this, where do we need to do it? In our small groups, uh, in, in our growth groups. That's what uh, is important. And so he, he gives this emphasis of teaching and admonishing one another, this, this back and forth. Uh, and then I would think that if he's going to then lay out for us <coughs> how we are to do that or what tools and instruments are we to use in teaching and admonishing one another, uh, in, you know, my, in my seminary mind, I would be like, all right, you've got to get your Bible, uh, a concordance, maybe a good systematic theology. Like, we've got to teach this, right? But then what does he say? kind of catches us off guard here. He, he doesn't say all of those things. I think it's presumed that if we're teaching and admonishing one another, we're doing it according to the word of Christ, based upon what was initially said in this verse. But then he says that we are to teach and admonish one another with <clears throat> songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, and uh, he points to music as something that is able to to teach us, and this isn't intended to be an exhaustive list of of what is able to teach. As I said, primarily teaching should be from the Word, but understanding that music teaches, and and the types of music that are listed probably don't form hard and fast divisions. There, there can be some overlap, but but generally speaking, Psalms would allude to to the Song Book of the Old Testament, uh, the Psalter. There's, a, there's an entire book on music and worship in the Old Testament, with 150 songs in it. So, so worship and music is important in the Old Testament. And then hymns could, could speak of, of Christian hymns from the New Testament. Okay. Uh, in, uh, Luke, you see some of these hymns in, in Mary's prayer uh, in Luke chapter 1, after the angel Gabriel uh, announces the birth of Jesus. Very famous prayers called the Magnificat. Uh, you also see uh, Zechariah's response when, you know, he, I know, he, you know God pushed the mute button on him for a while. But then when he was finally able to speak, he, he rejoiced with a song of prayer. And that prayer is known as the, the Benedictus. Those can be Christian hymns, so to speak. Uh, and the, the church father, Augustine, gave three essentials of, of, a, of a Christian hymn. He says it must be sung, it must be praise, and it must be to God. Uh, and, and this idea of a, of, a, of a song dedicated to God, this word in the Greek was only used to describe songs directed towards gods or the Greek heroes. Uh, they would only, so it kind of has this aspect of, of veneration and worship. Uh, and then the, the third term that Paul uses are, are spiritual songs, which conveys the, conveys the idea of any other song that proclaims spiritual truth. Okay? Uh, it's the idea of, of sacred music. It's, it's where we get our word in English of ode is an ode to joy. This is a song, and this is uh, the idea of putting a, a poem to music, and this is the the word that's used in Revelation 5-9, where, where the saints are in heaven before the throne of God, and he says, sing a new song, sing a new ode to God, a poem put to music, praising God for who he is and what he's done. Uh, and, and it's amazing that Paul is, in essence, saying here that, hey, music teaches, that you're to teach and admonish one another with music, and well, which makes sense. If you think about the power of music, uh, if you set any information uh, to, to just a little bit of a tune, it's so much easier to remember, right? Even when you don't want to remember it. Uh, like those advertising jingles, uh, you probably, probably know them. Like Nationwide is on your side, right? Uh, like a Good Neighbor, yeah, or uh, Plop, Plop, Fizz, Fizz. Yeah, for Alka-Seltzer, you're familiar with these. Even You're like, I don't want to know that. But but this is the reality. When we teach children, when you teach children the alphabet, uh, you, you, you teach them the letters to the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And I know some of you are going to be singing that in your head. Is that, the, is that really the same? Uh, yes, you, you put the letters to to music, and it's, it's so much easier to learn and grasp and remember and that is what Paul is saying here, that, hey, uh, understand it and, and teach one another with music. Put Christian truth to a tune and so that you can remember it. Because, again, in Paul's day, uh, originally, how many copies of this letter to Colossians were there? One. All right, they were eventually going to copy it and, and distribute it to other churches. Uh, but initially, there was, there was one letter. So uh, to this church, how many people could have the letter at once? One people. So how would they convey truth to one another? They had to they they had to condense truth and then put it to music, uh, so that they could teach and remember it uh, to one another. And I think there's also something more significant here with with when Paul says uh, teaching one another and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, because in this letter Paul has already given them a Christian hymn. You're like what? Uh, we'll turn over to to Colossians chapter one verse fifteen. So let's uh, let's remember Colossians was written because Paul wanted to address false teaching in the church, uh, and uh, and 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 Paul was was writing to tell them about who Jesus really was. There were the Colossians within the the church a different view of Jesus was being presented and begun to be accepted within the church. And so as Paul writes verses. 15 through 20, in chapter 1, are actually believed to be a Christian hymn. But because as you, as you read it, uh, and we will read it here in a second, uh, th- there's, a, there's a flow to it, and, and there are patterns that are repeated, uh, and, and concepts that, that are brought to mind. Uh, the, there are, are two verses within this Christ hymn uh, with a little bridge in the middle. The, the first verse is found in verses 15 and... And, 16. And, and this first verse shows that Christ is preeminent. That's what firstborn means. Uh, he is the preeminent one over the original creation. And that all things were created in him, or it'll say in the text by, but it's literally in. All things were created in, in him, through him, and to him. Now let's look at those verses. Verses 15 and 16. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him, and for him. All right. So, so that's that's verse one. And then there's going to be a little bit of a bridge, uh, from. Uh, Verse 17, and then that first line in verse 18. The bridge is going to comprise three lines, uh, and it's also going to repeat himself. Because as you notice, uh, in the ESV, it'll say, the verse 17 begins with, and he is, and verse 18 begins with, and he is. The, the first and third, third lines begin with the same words, literally, and he himself is. So verse 17, he himself, literally, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Uh, That's the bridge. And then the second verse is going to be uh, the next part of verse 18 through the end of verse 20. And that's going to show that Jesus is preeminent. Again, the firstborn in, in the resurrected humanity. In the new creation, Jesus is still preeminent. He is still supreme. And all things in the new creation, guess what? In the same way that the old creation was in, through, and to Jesus the new creation is going to be in, through, and to Jesus. It says that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, see I think when, when Paul is saying, hey, teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think he's also saying, hey, remember that Christian hymn, that Christ hymn that I gave you in chapter 1? Teach that to one another. Admonish one another with that, because that hymn will address all of the false teaching that's dividing you and that's coming up in your church. Uh, and, and what this verse says uh, is that music teaches, right? Which on a side note, we should take inventory of what is our music teaching us. But, but also we need to understand some things that, that like any other aspect of culture, it, any type of art uh, or, or part of the culture, it's, it's a both a, a shaper and something that is shaped by us. Right? When you think about it, music, we shape songs and songs shape us. Okay? Uh, the songs that we choose to sing will both reflect and shape our priorities and values. This is this is important. There's a Latin saying, uh, lex orandi, uh, lex credendi, which means that the law of worship is the law of belief. And the point of that is saying that how we worship shapes how we believe. Uh, what we sing about, what will that do? What, what is it that we're going to remember? What we sing. And so what we sing about, we need to make sure that it is teaching us rightly, that it is uh, teaching us about who God is uh, and and what he has done, who we are, and who we are in Christ. Uh, See, this verse elevates our understanding of music and our expectations of music that we sing as a corporate congregation. Does it not? Because it's saying, hey, music teaches, so what you're singing, it better do what? It better teach. It better instruct." Uh, And that's why, hey, when we gather together, I want to I want to sing about who God is and what he's done. I want to sing the gospel. I want us to come together, uh, lifting up our voices in praise of the one who has saved us, who gave his life to reconcile us, to rescue us from the domain of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his son. I want to praise him. Uh, And music is not intended just to convey emotion. Emotion is an important aspect of music. Uh, but it's not the only aspect of music. Scripture calls for us to worship God in spirit and in truth, uh, with our minds and with our hearts. Uh, John 4:23, in Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. Uh, and understand, he's speaking with somebody who has a different understanding of worship than he does, uh, a different view. And this is what he says. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And then a passage you may not be as familiar with, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. It says, Paul writes, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Uh, see, that the Corinthians were struggling with uh, saying, hey, I'm just going to do this in the spirit. But Paul says "You can't. you can't only have the emotion and exclude your mind from it. You, you have to have both. Uh, it's good to pray and sing in the spirit, but you also better be singing and praying in your mind as well. Now, and those two components are so important and, and have to go together because worship without truth is blind. If you don't know what you're worshiping, you're worshiping anything. Now, and worship without spirit is empty. You may believe all of the right things, but without spirit, without the emotion of it, without a true love for God, your worship is empty. That is what we need to, to understand, that our worship through song must be in spirit and in truth, intellectual and emotional, and the emotion that comes from our singing should be in response to the truth of the lyrics being sung, not just by, by, by the musical accompany or the instrumental accompaniment. Uh, how many of you guys noticed uh, the last verse of that song that we sung this morning, The Love of God, where, where uh, the hymn writer talks about if... if uh, if the, if the ocean was full of ink and every you know, stalk on the earth was a quill and every person was a scribe and we had the whole sky as our parchment, would we ever be able to write uh, everything there is about the love of God? No, you, you think about those lyrics, and you really have to think about those lyrics as you're singing, but that, that elevates uh, and involves our mind as we sing, right? It, it exalts who God is uh, and it, and it tr- puts a picture to how vast his love is toward us that's what we want to sing that's what teaches our our souls Uh, and and this verse gives us a mandate to everyone here what are we supposed how are we supposed to interact with one another we are to teach and admonish each other with all wisdom that there should be a a give and a take uh, within our relationships Uh, and and once again our growth groups is where we accomplish that and and I would also, encourage all of you to, to take inventory of the music that you listen to uh, and evaluate what it's teaching because every, every uh, piece of music that has ever been written preaches something, just like every TV show preaches something, every movie preaches something, uh, every piece of art proclaims some kind of message. We can't be uh, absent from that or think that nothing communicates, uh, everything communicates some kind of a message. And also, encourage you to, to learn to learn songs, learn hymns. If, if you don't own a, a hymnal just in your own home, just go pick one up or order one online. Uh, the, the Hymns of Grace hymnal is a phenomenal one. I can, I can show you where, where we can pick it up. We can put a group order together. But it's been said by, by many that the, that the second best uh, encouragement to their souls, apart from Scripture, is a good hymnal. Uh, looking at the songs that have gone uh, before from previous generations and looking and saying, hey, what, uh, who is God and how have others sung to him and found comfort in him and cried out to him in joy, in pain? Uh, how, how have other saints worshipped? And Lord, help me uh, to teach my soul how to worship. Uh, and may we encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. May we learn what that involves, and may we hide his word in our heart. May we, may we put his truth to music and remember it in our souls. That's one way that the word dwells within us. Another way that the word dwells within us uh, is uh, that third point that we'll look at this morning, is that in in grace, by, by singing vertically to God, uh, and, and having just talked about instructing and admonishing one another through These three forms of music, now uh, it's assumed that they would be singing, but now Paul says, hey, you should be singing, and he's going to explain where that singing should be directed. See, the the primary motivation for our singing, even though uh, we we get the benefits of singing to one another, we we are edified, we are built up, we are encouraged, what's the main reason for our singing? We want to do what? We want to exalt God. We want to worship him, and our singing should be directed towards him and that's what that 's what Paul is saying that it should be both uh, directed horizontally and vertically uh, and and as I mentioned earlier most most English translations will say with thanksgiving, but the text literally says that in grace singing so what does that mean? What does it mean that that how do we sing in grace? Well, uh, I think w- what Paul is saying here is that if we 're singing in grace, the focus is not so much on our attitude. Towards God as we sing, but on His attitude toward us. See, when we think about the grace of God as we sing, what's the proper response to grace? Gratitude, always. Uh, See, and I don't think there's. uh, So I think it it can imply both. Of of if we're really contemplating the grace of God, we are going to respond with thankfulness. The, the two go hand in hand. Uh, That's always the right uh, response. Uh, That's what I think Paul is saying. of Hey, in grace, thinking about the grace of God, you should be singing to him. Thinking about what he has done for you and then directing back to him his own words. The idea of of, with your hearts to God, of singing with your entire being, with your mind, with your emotions, with your will, uh, and directing that to God above. Uh, And this is not the first time in scripture uh, where singing has been held up. As I said, the, in the Old Testament, they have an entire songbook. Uh, and as you, uh, as, as you look at the Bible, you can, you can just, in, in the back of your minds, uh, as you read it, uh, make a note of when there's a, a, a big deliverance of God, uh, when he acts in the lives of his people, an almost immediate response is oftentimes for them to burst into song. They just immediately want to sing to God. This, this took place uh, after God delivered uh, the Israelites at the Red Sea. They're, they are in dire straits, uh, up, up against a large body of water with uh, Pharaoh's uh, army bearing down upon them. Uh, God miraculously parts the sea. They travel through uh, at Exodus uh, 14. And then immediately after that, Exodus 15, is about Miriam's song of praise. She immediately sings to God. And Moses is like, I got to write this down. I need future generations to know of the deliverance that God brought about here. Also, 2 Samuel 22, 1. Uh, it says, David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. David's response when he saw, look at how God has delivered me. What did he do? Let me write this song. Let me, let me compose this song in praise to God. Isaiah 44:23 says, "Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it; shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and will be glorified in Israel." All creation is called to sing and praise God. As I mentioned before, uh, when Mary was given the announcement of Jesus' birth, what was her response? to sing a song of praise. Uh, numerous places in Revelation show that we will be singing and praising God for all of eternity. So I hope that you like singing because we will be doing it for a very, very long time. Uh, and I think we'll all be better singers in heaven. I think my my pitch and my tune, uh, God will align that to reality uh, and th- that I will be able to, to sing well uh, when I get to heaven Uh one, one author, uh, T. David Gordon, uh, he's, he's got a great book on, on worship. He, he says this, he gives this definition of of worship music. He says, Song is the divinely instituted, divinely commanded, and divinely regulated means of responding to God's great works of creation, preservation, and deliverance. And our natural inclinations at as Christians, should be to, to praise God, to sing to him, uh, to cry out to him with gratitude for what he has done for us. Uh, and, and it's helpful just to sometimes, uh, again, remind yourself of everything that God has done. He, he, he's created you, right? If he did nothing else, we should be thankful for that. He has given us life and breath and everything. Paul says that in one of his sermons in Acts. He has rescued us, delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul says that in Colossians. He has sent his spirit to dwell within us and we are now united to Christ. He is in us and we are in him. And that is a recurring theme that we've been looking at in Colossians. Our union with Christ uh, and the blessings that that brings. What praise should fill our hearts and minds. We should be oozing with thanks and gratitude. And if you're here this morning, and that kind of sounds foreign to you, you say, "Well, I, I don't really give thanks to God for any of those things." I would, I would encourage you to begin to think about that. Why not? Uh, and, and why wait any longer? God is worthy of your praise. God is worthy of your thanks, and He is worthy of your honor. And we are all called to worship Him, and we are all called to submit to His Son, the, the, the King in the kingdom that we are brought into. We are called to submit to. Christ. So I would encourage you, if you do not look to Christ now as your Lord, as your Savior, as your only hope for salvation and to be reconciled to God, look to him. Look to him in faith. Turn to Christ. Turn away from your own efforts to save yourself. Turn away from your own hopes and desires uh, and follow Christ, the one who has died for your sins. And it's just, it's just amazing to think about how, how powerful would our witness be in our community if we were, if we were a church that was living out this verse, that where the word of Christ dwells within us, that in all of our conversations the word of God is just naturally oozing out of us. Again, you, uh, you cut us and we bleed the Bible. Uh, and we are constantly listening to and, and thinking about uh, ways of praising God, singing to him, worshiping him would be a powerful and amazing witness in our community. And uh, one, one pastor a, a, has said this, of this, this verse that we looked at today is really a blessing because what it does is, is it kind of pulls back the curtain and, and brings us back into the first century church and shows us what worship was like for them, uh, what, what uh, their, their services would be. And he says uh, that this, this verse is one of very few that provides us with any window at all into the worship of the earliest Christians. It is, of course, too brief and it's too specific uh, uh, and its specific contour too uncertain, but it gives us uh, much information, uh, but it does make three points that are worth emphasizing. He says first, that the message about Christ, or more broadly the word of God, was central to the experience of worship. Second, that various forms of music were integral to the experience, and then third that teaching and admonishing, while undoubtedly Often the responsibility of particularly gifted individuals within the congregation were also engaged in by every member of the congregation. Those are, those are the three big takeaways. The centrality of the word, uh, the importance of music in the church, and then, hey, we are all to be teaching and admonishing one another. We all have responsibilities uh, in this. Uh, and, and my hope for, for Ambassador, my prayer for Ambassador, is that we would, we would heed those. Uh, that uh, every time we gather together, whether it would be in corporate worship, whether it would be in our homes, in our, in our small groups, that God's word would have the, the, the place of preeminence, uh, that we are coming together uh, to study his word, to see uh, what it teaches and how that truth should impact and apply to our lives. I hope that we would also be a body of believers who love one another and are constantly working to, to teach, to admonish, to encourage one another. Uh, I'm blind to my blind spots. Uh, And you guys are here to help me see where I'm blind. Uh, And and we're all here to do the same. We need this community of believers. Uh, We can't shy away from this responsibility. And then also my hope is that every time we gather to to sing as a church, we we sing out to God. Uh, I I pray that that with all of our hearts, we, we lift our voices to him. Every one of you comes every week with an instrument to our services. Do you know what that is? Your voice. Uh, and, and we are called to sing. And uh, I remember when I was in when I was in seminary, we would we would have chapel twice a week. And uh, it was amazing to have the voices of of three to four hundred men uh, twice a week gathering together and singing to God. Uh, and for uh, we always do senior testimonies just before you graduate. And as as I looked back at my time in seminary, I said, you know what? One of the biggest things I'm going to miss is. Uh, is coming together and, and singing with other men. Uh, and every time we do that, every time we're in this, this gathering, uh, singing together, guess what, it is also a foretaste of heaven. Because as I mentioned, what are we going to be doing in heaven for eternity? Singing out to God. So when we, uh, when we sing to God, when we can hear those around us singing, and yes, we want that, okay? because that's, what we, that's how we sing together, congregational singing. Uh, it's that little slice of heaven. And, and my prayer would be, in the same way that I, I missed that singing after I left seminary, my prayer would be that if, if you're not here on a Sunday morning, I want, I want your heart to miss not just the, the, the proclamation of the word, not just uh, the interaction with God's people and the fellowship, but I want you to miss singing with God's people, lifting your voice up to God. Uh, I want us to miss that. I want that to have a central place uh, in who we are and what we do as a church. Uh, And we'll have one more opportunity uh, to lift our voices together this morning. But before we do that, let's go to uh, God in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we come to you again, worshiping you, praising you for who you are, your attributes, and what you have done, your actions. Lord, we thank you for giving us life and breath and everything Lord, we owe everything to you. Anything that we have in our lives has come from your hand, and we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, we long to worship you in spirit and in truth. We long to offer you praise with our heart and our mind. We long to see you exalted and lifted up. And at the same time as we are exalting you, Lord, we thank you that that is also instructional to our hearts. That, up, that uplifts our souls, that, that warns us, that, that shows us that you are greater than we are. Lord, you are holy. You are altogether different than us. You are above us and beyond us. Lord, teach that to us through song, through music. Help us to understand how our music uh, impacts us and what it teaches to us. And then may we be wise in our music so that we might glorify you, build up one another, and be a powerful witness in our community. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We long to exalt your name. May our worship be pleasing in your sight. We ask in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior.